Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. But hey, today, today, where we are at, we are in part two of this series that we just started last week called Already But Not Yet. Can you say it with me? Already But Not Yet. Uh, And what we're talking about is this tension that followers of Jesus have to live in. It's this tension that we see repeated on page after page of scripture, where scripture will say something about our condition Uh, about the condition of a Christian, about the condition of someone who's following Jesus, and you read it and you're like, oh, okay, so this is something that's already happened. Like, in Jesus, I'm already sanctified. Cool, that's incredible. And then you read, like, the next book, like, you read the next letter, and Paul says, like, you you will be sanctified. You're going, will be? I thought I was. (laughs) I thought the last book just said that I was. How, what's going on here? And this tension is called already, but not yet. This is actually a theological concept that, uh, theologians and scholars have talked about this tension that Christians live in. And uh, what we're doing in this short little two-part series is we're addressing that. We're addressing this tension. So last week, we looked at this really biblical word called sanctification, and don't need to be scared by it. All that word means is the process of becoming more like Jesus. We talked about that last week and how it is just that. It's a process. So we're constantly in this state of already, but not yet. We're already more like Jesus than we used to be, but we're not perfect yet, but we're not there yet. It's, it's this ongoing process. So that's where we were last week. Today, what I want us to talk about is salvation, salvation. Our title for today uh, is Jesus Saves, but wait, there's more. I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna, I just wanna have a really nice infomercial uh, moment here in just a second. I'm gonna say Jesus Saves, and then I'd like you guys to just shout back, just like this is a Cutco infomercial, just say back, but wait, there's more, all right? So here, let, let's try this out. So our title for today is Jesus Saves. But wait, more. Like, I feel like an infographic just popped up on the screen, like clip art, bing, right? Like, but wait, there's more. Uh, there is, Jesus, he saves, but man, there's so much more to it than just that. There, there's so much more to it than just that statement that Jesus saves or that I'm saved. And so today, as we talk about salvation, the angle I wanna take from an already but not yet perspective is that for many of us, chances are if you're in church on a Palm Sunday, the majority of the people in this room, the majority of people watching online, you would say, yeah, I'm saved. That's the majority of us. The majority, it, I don't care what church you go to, how outside focused it is, how, hey, we try to reach people far from God. I don't care what church it is. The majority of the people who are coming on Sundays, who are coming on the weekends, are still people who would say, yeah, I'm saved, yeah, I'm in relationship with Jesus. And so with that being in mind, the already but not yet angle I wanna take on today is a lot of us would say, yeah, I'm already saved. That's already in the book, already. But I don't yet have a great understanding of what that actually means. <laughs> like, like if the majority of us, if we were asked, what does it mean that you're saved? You'd be like, uh, I'm not gonna go to hell when I die. And that's like the, that's the extent of it. Or like, um, I'm saved means I believe in Jesus. And that would be the extent of what we mean when we say I'm saved. And so, yeah, you're, you're saved, you're already saved, but man, you don't really have the full grasp, the full appreciation 
of what that means for you and what that means in our life. So today as we dig into God's word, I want us to start in the book of Colossians. We're gonna be in Colossians chapter two, verses 13 through 15. And I'm gonna ask you if you are physically able, if you would, let's stand to our feet in the honor of the reading of God's word. We're just gonna read these three short verses real quick from the book of Colossians. And we're gonna be reading from the Amplified Bible. This is a, a, a version that kind of amplifies certain words to help us get a full understanding of what scripture is saying to us. And I love the way that the Amplified says this. This is what it says in Colossians chapter two, starting in verse 13. Paul writes, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, your worldliness, your manner of life, God made you alive together with Christ having freely forgiven us of all of our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of legal demands which were in force against us and which were hostile towards us. And this certificate he has set aside and completely removed by nailing it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities, those supernatural forces of evil operating against us, he made a public example of them exhibiting them as his captives in his triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. You see, that's, that's what's happening when we talk about Jesus saving us. There is so much at work, there is so much at play, and I believe that for many of us in the Christian church, for far too long, we've settled for far too little of a view of salvation. For far too long, we settled for far too simple of a view of salvation. I, I think about what we just read in there, the Jesus' triumphal procession, and what we celebrate today on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem at the start of Holy Week before Jesus was arrested, crucified, and resurrected. This triumphal entry, as Jesus is coming into town, the crowds are shouting him down. They're so excited. They're thrilled that he's here. They're thrilled that he has come to do what they think he's gonna do. Right, they, they misunderstood what they saw Jesus about to do, what they saw Jesus about to accomplish, misunderstanding, just taking at a simple face value level what he was really up to in church. I don't want that to be us. I don't want us to look at salvation, look at the unbelievable gift that Jesus has given us from a simple face value standpoint. I, I want us to go deep. I want us to fully know, to fully appreciate, to fully understand what Jesus has achieved for us on the cross. Are you with me? You want to know too? All right, let's get ready. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray together and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the freedom that Jesus achieved for us on the cross. And God, we thank you for what we're about to learn today. The full breadth, the full depth of what that statement means that whenever we say I'm saved, what all that actually entails. God, help illuminate your word to us today so that we could study it correctly, that we could uh, uh, study it and have it illuminated to us by you, by your spirit, and that we could walk away from this place changed today. We love you, Father, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you high five somebody next to you and grab a seat. Give the high fives. <laughs> hey, do, do you guys know do you guys know why I had you high five your neighbor? You guys know, wanna know why I had you high five your neighbor? Because it's Palm Sunday. Thank you, appreciate it, I'll be here all week. I'm, no, I'm just, it's bad, that, that, those are the jokes, that's, that's what we're working with today. <laughs> First service was borderline booing me. They were like, boo! <laughs> uh, I get it, it is, it's bad. <laughs> 
Well, hey, as we start off today, I want to uh, start with an idea that I kind of talked about a few weeks ago and play it out a little bit more today. So I'm gonna start with this. Have you guys ever wondered what my sermon notes look like? Maybe you don't. I'm, I'm a nerd. Like, I love this kind of stuff. I wish I could know what every pastor's sermon notes look like. So these, I'll turn up my brightness so you can see this a little bit better. These are what my sermon notes look like every week. So I try to keep it on one page, no more than one page. Um, one page usually gets me like 40 minutes, maybe 45, maybe 50 if you guys aren't booing me and trying to get me off the stage. Uh, <laughs> but that's, that's my sermon notes and I color coat things and I, I use my Apple uh, pencil to kind of write in the margins if something else kind of like hits me or whenever I'm reading scripture, if something stands out. So that's what my notes look like and I love it. I love preaching from my iPad. I love how easy it is to edit. I can search for things. Like it's just... It's fantastic, I, I really enjoy it, I love my iPad. Um, but how weird would it be if that's all I use my iPad for? Like that's it. <laughs> like all that I do with it ever is open up a Google Doc, type out one page of text, color code some stuff, and then that's it. And people are like, oh man, you got, a, you got an iPad Pro? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got it. They're like, are you loving it? I'm like, oh yeah, Lo I love using that word processing. Whew, that's great, and they're like, yeah. The word processing, what about the other stuff? And I'm like, nah, that's, that's my sweet spot. I'm just, I write up documents and that's it. That's all I, that's all I use it for. They're like, really? An iPad Pro, that's, that's all you use it for. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it. It'd be weird, right? <laughs> because this thing is way, way more capable than just Word docs. I mean, like, this is some of the stuff that I use mine for. Um, I, uh, like, I use it for banking, right? I signed out. Don't, don't try to look too close to get my account info. I don't trust you people. I'm just kidding. I trust you people. Um, but I, I use it for banking. Uh, I use it, I have, like, this little Bible app that, like, ties with my uh, hard copy Bible. So I use it for, you know, note-taking on stuff like that. Um, I use it for like our kids' Bible. We use like the YouVersion Kids' Bible app, which is really cool. You can read different stories, which is fun on there. So I use it for that too. Um, I use it like whenever my kids or Jessica's watching something on TV and I'm wanting to be in the same room, but I, like they were there first, I'll get, <laughs> I'll get on here and I'll, you know, I'll get on here and watch like the Cavs play on here and stuff like that. Like I love it. Like it, it's, it's incredible. I love how fully functional this thing is and how I can do a whole variety of things on it, uh, so yeah, it would be kind of weird knowing everything, and I, man, I showed you guys barely anything that this can do, right? There's so many more apps, so many more other functions. How weird would it be if that's really all that I did, though, was the Word doc? Like, that'd be, that'd be yeah, it'd be weird, right? It'd be like, what's up with this guy? Like, does he, does he even know what he's holding? Does he even know what it's capable of? You see, it's very easy to uh, do things like this, especially with tech, to fail, uh, fail to properly appreciate how powerful something is or how wonderful something is or all that can be used for. And what I worry is that that can happen with us, with believers, with followers of Jesus when it comes to salvation. We, we think we know what it's about. We have like a very base, just surface level understanding and we think that we've got it. And man, it, it, it's, it's so much better than we realized <laughs> There's so much more at play than we realize. There's so much more going on here, but for far too long, we've settled for far too simple of a view of salvation. Uh, and, and it's just because we don't really understand it. We don't really understand what it means whenever we say, I'm saved. And man, it, what happens if we don't understand something? We can end up taking it for granted. 
We just end up taking it for granted because we don't even really know what's actually going on. And man, oh man, is this true with salvation? Is this true with statements like, I'm saved? We just don't fully get, we don't fully appreciate everything that's at play. I love this. This is, we're gonna read from Matthew chapter nine. Uh, Jesus is performing a miracle, but I love what he does as as he's performing this miracle. Listen to what it says. Jesus climbed into a boat and he went back across the lake to his own town. Some people brought him a paralyzed man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, that's blasphemy. Who does he think he is, a God? Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. What I love that we see happening here in this particular account of Jesus' ministry is Jesus doesn't just perform a miracle. That's typically what we see. Jesus performs a miracle, and then he's off. He's off somewhere else. Or Jesus heals a blind man, or he heals a lame man, or he calms a storm. And we read the account, but that's really all the context we get around the situation. But what we see here in Matthew chapter nine at the beginning, we don't just see Jesus performing a miracle. We, we see Jesus going in depth and giving some context about the miracle he is performing. And what I, why I love this so much and why I think this is so applicable for what we're talking about today is Jesus is like, look, I don't want anyone to misunderstand what I'm doing here. I, I don't want anyone to get, to get the notion, because I know I've been going around, I've been doing some pretty cool stuff, the water into wine, the healing this guy, the healing that guy. Like I've been doing some pretty, pretty crazy stuff, but I don't want you to think I'm just some kind of one-trick pony. All I do is word processing, that's it. <laughs> All I do is create these docs and that's really it. Man, you don't, you don't even know what I'm capable of. You have no idea all the things I'm doing. I'm going around and I'm telling people that they can be healed, but I have such a greater power than that. I have the power to forgive sins. Don't misunderstand who I am and what I am here to do, what I am here to accomplish. Jesus did not want us to take for granted who he was and what he was up to. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us to know what he offers. He wants us to know when we put our faith in him, he wants us to know what we own now. Like he doesn't want us to just glibly say, well, I'm saved. I can't explain what that means. I can't extrapolate on that. I can't talk about that at all, but I I won't go to hell. Like, no, Jesus wants us to have such a deeper appreciation and knowledge for what he has accomplished for us. He wants us to know what we own. That's why the majority, if you flip through the, uh, the letters that are written by Paul, the letters by Peter, by James, by Jude, you read through these things, essentially all of them, you see a common theme over and over. And what scripture's trying to tell us is, like, this is an owner's manual for what you now possess. Like the salvation found in Jesus is so good, we can't sum it up in one little phrase. We've got books, we've got letters trying to talk about what this now means for us, what this means for the world, what this means for you and for your relationships. It's that great, it's that huge, it's that powerful, and Jesus wants us to know about it. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of what we now own because of our faith and our trust in him. Because otherwise, if we are ignorant, We're the person walking around with the iPad just making Google Docs and that's it. (laughs) 
We're, we're, we're the person who's got a powerful, powerful device and they don't even realize what all it's capable of doing. And I think that's why so many of us, if I can just be honest, and please, please hear me on this, I'm not talking at you, I'm speaking with you because this has been me in so many areas of my life, but I, I believe that exact thing is why we have so many of us who are stuck in dysfunction, we're stuck in dysfunctional relationships, relationships where we talk to each other terribly, where there's no respect, there's no mutual love, there's no mutual honor, we're, we're just stuck in this dysfunctional relationship, or we're stuck in an addiction, we can't seem to, to get over it, we can't seem to beat it, nothing has been able to, to help us, we're just still stuck in the same habits, the same addictions that we've always been in. We still have the same fears, the same worries, the same anxieties, all these things, but I'm saved now. (laughs) Yeah, everything, yeah, right? Everything, everything is still the same, but I'm saved. Yeah, no, I still have the exact, I still have the exact same fears I had pre-Jesus, but I'm saved now. Yeah, I still have those same fears, I'm just, I have Jesus too. Oh yeah, no, the same dysfunctional relationships, me and my wife, me and my girlfriend, me and, me and like my coworkers, we still, I still talk down to them the same way. I'm still short the same way. I still talk to them like they're idiots the same way, but I have Jesus. <laughs> what in the world? Like you have such a small understanding of what it means to be saved. You have such a base level, st- you just, well, yeah, you know, I, I put my faith in Jesus now. Well, yeah, no, I, I won't go to hell one day. <laughs> That's what it means, right? To be, I'm saved. And God's looking at us going, like, you're missing it. There is so much more. There is so much power in what I've accomplished for you. Don't be stuck in that dysfunction. Don't be stuck in that addiction and that fear and that worry and that anxiety. You don't need to be there anymore. Don't take for granted what I've accomplished for you. And the only way we won't take it for granted is if we truly understand it. So as we dive into that, trying to really understand what it means, and I'll tell you this, we will not be able to hit all of it. I mean, salvation, they call it soteriology, the study of salvation. I mean, there's people who've dedicated their entire life's work to studying it, and they've written books and taught classes on it. So you think I'm gonna be able to really dive into it in the remaining 21 minutes we have? Nah, <laughs> like this is, this is elevator pitch that we're talking about the rest of the time. Uh, but this is what I want us to look at. The first thing that I want us to know about salvation as we talk about what it means and what it's so important, I, I feel like a good place for us to start is a reminder that yes, salvation is personal, but I feel like we all know that. <laughs> like everyone, that's, that's the common thing. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, right? Like that's, we know that. There's, a, there's an understanding that faith in Jesus and salvation in Jesus is personal, but it's, it's, it's not even just that. What Jesus accomplished on the cross isn't just personal, it's universal. It has universal ramifications that we have to talk about because Jesus didn't just defeat sin and death personally for you. What Jesus did on the cross, it has changed everything forever, It's changed everything forever. When Jesus did what we just read about in Colossians chapter two, whenever he took our sin debt and he nailed it to his cross and whenever he stripped the powers of this world, the powers of darkness that are at work in this world, when he stripped them of their power, something changed. A a way to think of it is like this. Come that good Friday when Jesus breathed his last, the world changed forever. And I don't just mean that in like a personal, oh yeah, my heart changed forever because now I can accept Jesus. No, the world, our physical world, the universe is different now than it used to be pre-Jesus' death. Everything changed. 
everything changed. Just look at our world. Look at the stuff that we, that we value today. If you're a boss and you're looking to hire somebody, if you're a parent and you have a daughter who's you know, getting ready to get engaged, what you're caring about the, the guy that they're getting engaged to or you know, the person that you're gonna hire, what you're hoping that they have, you're hoping that they're a, a grace-filled person. You hope that they're compassionate, that they're humble, that they're true to their word, that they have mercy, that they have forgiveness, that they have love. Those are all things that you want in an employee. That's what you want in a, in a son-in-law. That's what you want in a friend. That's what you want in a boss, right? Those are the things that you want. We take for granted that those all came onto the scene with Jesus. Pre-Jesus, none of that stuff was looked at with, with, with pride and, oh yeah, that's what you look for. No, you look for someone who wants to seize power. You look for somebody who cares about getting their way. You look for someone who exemplifies that they're strong and they know what they're doing. That's what the world was looking for. And then Jesus comes on the scene riding a donkey instead of a war horse and everything changes. Everything shifts. The world since Jesus has been completely different. The victory of Jesus on the cross has had universal ramifications. The world has never been the same. And so, yes, Jesus is your personal savior, but Jesus has changed everything. He's changed everything, and he's changed everything for the better. This is something I gotta be careful I don't spend too long on because I could preach a sermon on just this. But the idea that, um, and this is a lot of our theology can get tied up in the idea that, you know what, as we get closer and closer to the end times, things are just gonna get worse and worse. And us as Christians, we should just be like, well, yeah, that's what the word says. It's gonna get terrible. <laughs> it's gonna get terrible. Almost like nonchalantly or excitedly, like, ooh, look, it's getting terrible out. Jeez, any moment, any moment. Like, and that's, man, church, that's, that's not how we are called to respond to evil in the world. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, are meant to push back the darkness. We are meant to be kingdom ambassadors who take his truth and his love and his grace to the four corners of the world. And so, no, actually, since Jesus came, the world has never been better than it is because of Jesus and because of his church. Do you know the church is why we have hospitals? The church is why we have schools. Do you know the vast majority of universities, if you look at what their Latin mottos mean, that like I think it's Harvard, that the Latin motto, whenever you look at what it really means is under God, she thrives. Like all of these places were started because Christians, the church believed we are supposed to better the world because when Jesus defeated sin, he didn't just defeat my sin, he defeated sin and death on a cosmic level and we are meant to completely just overturn what Satan's been at work doing in the world with the power and the light of Jesus. That's what we're supposed to do. The Jesus's victory on the cross, it has personal and universal ramifications. All things have been made new. All things have been made new in Jesus. So his victory is universal and yes, it is personal. It is personal. So what's it mean personally whenever I say I'm saved? Uh, probably the best way I could think of to sum this up, again, there's so many aspects to it. But whenever we say I'm saved, what we're saying is that salvation has provided me a new identity and a new destiny. That's what it means to be saved in Jesus. My identity is different and my destiny is different. I'm not who I was and I'm not headed where I was headed. Like I'm, everything has changed for me. Salvation has provided me a new identity and a new destiny. Listen to how the apostle Paul phrases it in his letter to the Ephesian church. He says this in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 13. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. 
And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own, giving you a new identity by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance, our destiny that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise him and glorify him. In Jesus, through salvation, we have a new identity and we have a new destiny. As I was reading this scripture and I was thinking about it, I, I instantly came to my mind, my little dog, Teddy. We, we've got this little dog, Teddy. He's two years old. He's a little shorky. He's a cute little guy. He's just a great little dog. And our family, we're obsessed with this dog. <laughs> like we, we love Teddy, especially our kids. Our kids can't get enough Teddy. Like they just love him. The other night they had a sleepover at their grandma and pa's house and they live real close to us. So the kids uh, walked home real quick to let Teddy out. And then we were watching on the doorbell cam, uh, like our ring doorbell, because me and Jessica were out of town. You could hear Evelyn, our, our middle child, like trying to convince uh, uh, her sister to go and ask grandma if Teddy could be a part of the sleepover. Like, can, can Teddy come too? Can he come sleep over? Like they, they just love, love, love this dog. And you know, every now and then whenever we're talking about Teddy, we'll talk about his brothers and sisters and we'll talk about his family, and we'll talk about the fact that like, man, how was he one of the last ones? Because that's how we picked him. He was, there were only a few dogs left, and so we got him. We're like, man, he's such a great little guy. Like, how, the kids just can't believe it. How did no one else pick Ted? Like, what in the world? They're like offended. Like, how could no one else pick this dog, right? Um, and so we're, we're talking about it, and I'm like, I know, but it worked out great, because now we have him. And Evelyn before has been like, what if somebody else would have got Teddy? Like, what if, what if someone else would have had him? And we're like, oh, man. It would have been a dark day for Ted, like, because he's got it made in the shade at the Young household. Like, this dog, you know, he gets the cheese whenever we open up. He gets the cheese tax. We pay the cheese tax to Teddy. Give him some, some cheese. We give him snacks. He sleeps in our bed. He, I mean, we play with him. Like, this dog has it just made. Like, we, we love, love, love this dog. And whenever we're talking about that and talking about, like, what would have happened if we wouldn't have picked him, like, where, where would he have gone? Where would he have been? And it's funny, because I think about Teddy, and I'm like, yeah, like, we, us picking Teddy changed his identity and his destiny. This, this little dog, he wouldn't be Teddy. He wouldn't be the, the Theodore. Like, he wouldn't be Ted. All the little names that we call him, that, that wouldn't be who he is. It wouldn't be his identity. And his destiny would be totally different. He wouldn't have these three awesome kids that like love him to death and would do anything for him and cuddle with him and just, just want to be with him. Like he wouldn't have any of that. Like everything changed when we picked him. You see where I'm going with this? When we in faith call out and Jesus hears us, in that moment, everything has changed. Our identity in that moment has shifted. The old is gone, the new is here. And in the to come, our destiny has changed. And no, I'm not just talking about where you go one day. Yes, of course that matters, but how you live right here matters too. Jesus said as much. If you notice, I would encourage you, read the New Testament, read the stories of the early church, and what you will see, especially in the book of Acts, is how utterly unconcerned the first century church was with what happened after they died. They were so all consumed with expanding the kingdom of God in the here and now, that's all they cared about. They're just like, you know what, for me, yeah, for me to die is game, but for me, for me to live is Christ. I'm just gonna keep pushing the kingdom forward. I'm gonna keep proclaiming Jesus as king everywhere I go. And that's how it's supposed to be for us. That's how it's supposed to be for us, that we get a brand new identity and a brand new destiny when we put our faith and our trust 
in Jesus. He makes us all new. And just like it was with Teddy when we picked him, we didn't pick him because he had done all these tricks, right? <laughs> like that wasn't it. He just, there were only a few dogs left and we picked him. It was completely unearned. And the same thing is true with us and God getting us and saving us. It's unearned. Like we're not doing anything to get it. We're not doing anything to deserve it. It's not because of how good you are or how nice you pretty yourself up. Like none of that matters. None of that matters. It is completely unmerited. When we call out on Jesus, God hears us. And that's good news. That's good news, but wait, there's more. <laughs> like, that's good news, but there's, there's even more to salvation than just that, that Jesus has given us a new identity and a new destiny. What also happens, what we need to realize with salvation, because a lot of times we think of salvation as something that God does for us, which is true. It's unmerited. You don't save yourself. It's a completely unmerited favor, a, a gift of God. It's his, it's his grace. But this is what we need to know because this is so true. What Jesus does for us can't be separated from what Jesus does in us. Jesus does something for us that is supposed to do something in us. The gift of salvation and the gift of sanctification, what we talked about last week, becoming more like Jesus, these things are one and the same. Like, they, they, they cannot be separated. They go together in so many ways. Listen to what it says in Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, and this is how you're able to do that. Verse 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. When Jesus saves us, when he does something for us, he also does something in us. When Jesus saves us, he, he's given us a new identity, a new destiny, a new, a new life, and he's given us the power through the Holy Spirit to actually start living the way God had intended for us, to give us the desire and the power to do what pleases God and to live into accordance with how we were supposed to live to begin with. That's how incredible salvation is. We can't separate the gift that God has done for us from what God is doing in us. You see, God has, through Jesus, through the victory on the cross, Jesus has saved us from the consequence of sin in the future and the control of sin in the present. That's how good it is. It's not one or the other, it's both. We are saved forever from our consequence in the future while simultaneously, at the exact same time, we are saved from the control of sin right here and right now. I can start living into accordance with what God has said, with what he's designed for me to do. So it's better than just saying, I'm saved. It's, yeah, I'm saved and I'm set free. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I've been saved and I've been set free to actually live into accordance with how I was designed to live. These things go hand in hand. It's, like, it's hard to even separate them. It's kind of like uh, my Cedar Point Pass. So I got a season pass for uh, uh, Christmas and I've been dying, just like waiting for the park to open. Because <laughs> that's a long time, getting it at Christmas and then just waiting. And I, I follow them on Twitter, so I keep seeing the countdown, right, for all the days until the park opens. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't wait. Just super excited. So my, my season pass, uh, and we're, we're getting Jessica one too, so we can go up just on weekends and whenever, uh, just to head on up. But what's funny is how me and Jessica will use the pass will be very different. I think that's safe to say. Is that right, Jess? She said, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. Because you see, Jessica, she's gonna use her Cedar Point Pass 
because it gives her entry to the park. And that's about where it stops. <laughs> Jessica, she'll, she'll enjoy the Iron Dragon and she'll enjoy some of the other smaller rides, but she is not setting foot on Millennium Force or Steel Vengeance or Maverick or any of those things. Like she's like, no, I'm just not doing it. Like, so she, she gets to use the entry to the park, which is great. But with that pass comes another option. You don't just get entry to the park, you are enabled to enjoy every aspect of the park. Like, you don't just walk in and, wow, look, cool, this is fun being in here. Like, that's, you can walk in and get on the rides. You can walk in and actually take advantage of everything that Cedar Point has to offer you with this pass. That's what salvation is for us. It's not something that just gets you entry into God's family. It's something that gets you entry into his family and says, okay, and now you can fully enjoy the benefits of being a part of my family. You can fully enjoy the benefits of, of becoming more like Jesus and what that does to your heart and what that does to your relationships and what it does to your mindsets. And those dysfunctions you have don't have to be there anymore. And those worries and anxieties, you don't have to stress over that stuff anymore. Those things can go away and it's all because of the gift of salvation through Jesus. He has not just given us entry into his family, but he has enabled us to live like we are a part of God's family. In church, we can't take this for granted. We can't take our salvation for granted anymore, not really knowing or really understanding what all God has done for us. That's why I wish we had a different way to word it other than I'm saved, because I just feel like that it just, words fail. Like, words fail. If you've ever loved somebody so much and you wanna tell them and you're like, man, I, I love you, but that doesn't cover it. Like, telling you I love you doesn't cover how much I care about you, how much I love you. Like the, the words, they just, they fail. And if someone's done something so great or so kind for you and you wanna thank them, you're like, man, thank you, but that doesn't even cover it because I'm so just overwhelmed with gratitude and I don't even know how to fully express it. What Jesus has done for us, I'm saved, doesn't even begin to cover it. What Jesus has done for us, what he's offered us, just saying, yeah, I'm saved, it, words fail, Words fail to truly describe how incredible it is. Honestly, the gift of salvation is nothing short of a miracle. We, and we don't, we don't typically describe it as a miracle, do we? Like if you, if you were to make a list of miracles that Jesus uh, performed, you would think of the ones that we talked about earlier, of you know, the calming of the seas, the healing of the blind man, the healing of the lame man, uh, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, his own resurrection. Like those are the miracles that we typically think of, but what we see from Jesus and what we see from him in that uh, section that we read earlier from the book of Matthew is that Jesus' greatest miracles weren't the storms that he calmed, they were the sins that he forgave. That's where the power of God is on its full display. That's the astonishing, astounding, like, you can do that? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, the storms and the, 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 the sicknesses, you can forgive sin? You can make me blameless in the sight of God. Like That is astonishing, that's astounding, that is miraculous. Listen one more time to what Jesus says in verse four of Matthew nine. Jesus knew what they were thinking. He asked them, why do you say, have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Jesus is saying, you guys got it flipped. You think the miraculous thing, you think the thing that's just like, whoa, is me performing miracles. And, and it's not, I mean, his disciples, they, they missed it too. In Matthew chapter eight, just one chapter before this, we see Jesus calm the seas. And as he does, the disciples who are on the boat with him, his closest friends, they look at it and they're like, what kind of man is this? 
Even the wind and the waves are obeying him. Like everyone is blown away by these external miracles that Jesus does. And Jesus is just saying, man, you guys, you, you don't get it. <laughs> like these miracles, they're incredible. Like, yeah, absolutely. And Jesus was performing them, but he was performing them as like a signpost pointing to a greater reality. And so whenever we see Jesus do these things, for example, Jesus calmed the storm. Guess what? There have been storms since on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> like it's just not, and now it's the weirdest weather phenomenon. There's never been a storm over the Sea of Galilee for the last 2,000 years. No, there's been storms. Um, you know, the, the, the guy that he healed, the lame man, I'm sure later in life, it got difficult to walk again. As he got older, as his body starts to fail, it's difficult to walk. Guess what, guys? Lazarus is dead. <laughs> like, he died again. There's not some dude walking around in the Middle East who's like, yeah, I'm 2,000 years old. <laughs> like, I'm still kicking. He died. And so if you look at that and you're going like, well, then what's the point? Why is Jesus doing all this just to like, do people a solid for a short little period of time, then it like fades off? Like what's, what's the point of this? What Jesus is saying and what we see here in Matthew 9, Jesus is saying every single miracle I do points to a greater reality that what caused this miracle to even need to happen, I have control over that thing. Like the whole reason people are lame is because sin and, and, and sickness entered our world. The whole reason people are dying is because sin and sickness entered our world. The whole reason there's all this chaos and all this disorder is because of sin. And so yeah, I'll show you I can control this, but it's to point to a greater reality that I can save you from the root cause. I can save you from it. That's what all of his miracles pointed to and that's why Jesus' greatest miracles aren't the storms that he calmed, but the sins that he forgave. Jesus can save us. It's the greatest miracle you'll ever see performed in your life. Is Jesus forgiving you of your sin? Is Jesus saying, yeah, I, I know all those incredible stories in scripture. I was able to handle all that, but the whole reason I handled those was to show you I can handle yours. I can handle the stuff you've been going through. That dysfunction, I can handle it. That addiction, I can handle it. That worry, that fear, that anxiety, just give it to me and I can handle it. I can save you from this. Jesus wants to do that for you. He wants to handle your sin. He wants to take it from you. He wants to make you new, give you a new identity and a new destiny. He wants to do it, and this is your time. This is your moment. If you've never done that or, or you've been walking away from it, and you're like, man, this is, I, I know I have not been where I need to be in my relationship with Jesus. Man, this is the moment to recommit. This is the moment to say, yeah, you know what, I am. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back into realignment with what I know uh, I'm supposed to do and that's putting my faith and trust in Jesus because he alone is the one who can handle my sin. He alone is the one who can give me that new identity and set me up with a new destiny. La last thing I wanna say before we close out, um, typically whenever we talk about salvation, we see this a lot in the book of Romans especially. The book of Romans, whenever Paul's writing, he almost writes from a legal framework when he's talking about our salvation. Paul talks a lot about, you know, uh, for the wages of sin is death, and you know, we've been, we've, we've been condemned under our sin, and like we've been found guilty under our sin, and Jesus is our mediator, right? We hear that in scripture a lot. He's our mediator, he's like our advocate. It's almost like he's the lawyer who is <laughs> defending us, and then he steps in and he takes the punishment for the crime on himself, and all of those things are true. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those are true, but sometimes I feel like analogies don't perfectly encapsulate what's really going on. And whenever it comes to salvation, I think we really just need to understand what's at work here. 
Jesus didn't come to simply make the guilty innocent because that's what we can think is, man, I was guilty and Jesus comes and now, now I can be made innocent in the sight of God. Yeah, that's true, but Jesus didn't just come to make the guilty innocent. He came to bring the dead back to life. That is, that is what he is capable of. That's the kind of power that he has, not just for you to one day say, I can make heaven, but for you to be like, man, my relationship was dead and it's not now. Like the, the mindsets I had, the way I viewed life were so deadly and it's not there anymore. Like the dysfunctions and the, the, where I was, I'm not that person anymore because Jesus has raised me to life. That's what he can do for you. That's what he wants to do for you. Will you let him? That's the question. It's been the question for the last 2,000 years. It's still the question today. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.